Hi, everybody. This is Moshe Fried, and welcome to the very 23rd episode of the Class Stars podcast. Today, we are talking with Carl Jubelhauer. The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, how do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question, and the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed. We are fortunate today to be sitting with Carl Jubelhauer. Did I get that right? You did. Carl Jubelhauer, who has been teaching for how many years are you teaching, Carl? This is year number 13 in this school and a couple years up in New York before coming down here. Nice. Where, where are you? You're in New Jersey somewhere, right? I am. I'm uh, along coastal New Jersey, uh, southern Ocean County, a little town called Tuckerton, uh, Tuckerton right on the coast. New Jersey. Beautiful, beautiful. And Carl and I met in a Facebook educators uh, lounge group. Um, I was advised by now a good friend of mine and uh, previously a guest on the podcast, Kimberly Ballinger, said, you got to get Carl on your podcast. He's a great educator. And Carl was really, really, co- you know, really fantastic and agreed to come on. And here we are. The question that I had posted on the Facebook group that, that I got to meet Carl was, you know, and this is something that I think about all the time, the way we evaluate teachers, the way we measure successful teachers is, is something that has gotten a lot of attention. We're working on it. It's a work in progress, but still very, very far from where it needs to be. Whenever you tie teacher's performance to student performance, you kind of setting up the teachers to have a conflict of interest because now they can no longer do what they need to do. They need to make sure that students have specific test scores because that's how they're gauged. So obviously it's going to change the way they test. It's going to, it's going to change everything. And yes. you know, how do we, how do, how should we evaluate teachers? How do we evaluate teachers? How do we get that change to happen? You know, we talk about the disconnect between the teachers and the administrators and obviously the administrators are not even at the top here because you have the administrators at the school level, the administrators at the district level, the administrators at the state level. You know, when I, when I talk to teachers, and again, as a social worker, I talk to parents, they complain about the teachers. You know, and of course the kids are complaining. The teachers complain about the administrators of the school. The school complains about, you know, the district level, the school board, the state, you know, the state have their people that they need to answer to if they want to keep their jobs. So this is right. a very, very complicated system that we've somehow managed to build that we're now stuck working for rather than it working for us. We're working for it. Yeah. So, so and, and your response was, was very, very passionate. And we can talk about, you know, I want to hear your, you know, we can talk about this for a little bit, but I want to get your story. You know, one of the things that I love hearing about, you know, from teachers is that what brought you into education, what excites you about education and where do you think we should go with education? So, so this is just an overview of some of the topics that we'll discuss today. Sure. Let's, start, let's start with the initial question of, of how we got to meet. Teacher evaluations, let's hear it. Uh, yikes, uh, yeah, so there's so many different elements uh, involved in teacher evaluation, everything from the traditional um, in-classroom observations to uh, now, it depends on your, your town, but the, um, or your, your state rather, 
but uh, things like uh, student goals and what they learn between the beginning of the year and the end of the year in your classroom. And um, in some schools, teachers design them and evaluate them and analyze them and score them. And in other places, the districts or the administration will hand that all down to you and they do the scoring or whatever. So there's uh, there's a lot of different conflict, a lot of different models, and nothing is consistent, and there's no continuity from town to town, let alone county to county here in New Jersey or state to state across the country. Uh, and then the, the big piece, obviously, is now the uh, the massive testing that we do, um, and Park and Common Core and uh, all that has have changed the game and in, in how we get evaluated. And it is a huge frustration. I have gone rounds and rounds. Respectfully, but behind closed doors, I have a great superintendent who, a very small school, I see my superintendent every day, and we have great conversations. We can have some really hard-line disagreements and still have a great working relationship. So kudos and, and hats off to my superintendent for that. But we've gone brass-knuckle conversations behind closed doors about, you show me where my class of 20 kids, where I can see the one kid who was in the hospital with his father who had chest pains and heart issues until three in the morning, and you show me his performance evaluation on the test, the state testing the next day. You show me where that is detailed in some kind of report that somehow mitigates the score that kid got. You get the response, well, there is no such thing. So you're telling me that one out of my 20 kids, 5% of my evaluation is now affected because this one child is in the hospital until three in the morning, can't function properly during the test. That's a problem for me. It's a one-day test. They don't get makeups on the state tests. So there are a lot of different real weaknesses to teacher evaluations. The observations are great. You know, there's a little bit more um, objectivity to it, but it's still subjective. There's a list of 50 different things that I'm responsible for in my classroom in any given lesson. On any given day, if my observer comes in and doesn't see that particular piece that he or she wants to see, I could get knocked down for that. Now, to be fair, hopefully in my post-observation conference, that observer says, I didn't see this, and I can say, well, you weren't in the room for that segment. I may have a class for you know, 90 minutes. They may only be in there for 30 minutes. That's a whole hour's worth of stuff that I'm doing that they're not seeing that may have been part of, but they didn't observe it. So there is some give and take there, but it, it winds up being something even as objective as we've made teacher observations becomes highly subjective anyway. It's a very challenging uh, situation, um, and I know that I'll, I, I've actually said to my superintendent, I don't care about my test scores. I don't care about my observation scores. Here's, well, I'm sorry, let me take that back. I do care about my observation scores. I don't care about my overall year-long uh, evaluation score. That's a combination of my teacher observations, my student growth, and my state testing. And she said, why don't you care? I said, because if I'm not doing my job, then that probably means that you're not doing your job, because I should know about it a whole lot sooner. She goes, all right, well, fair point. Okay. So we have a great real, and this is a kind of you know banter I have with her. That's great. But if you're doing your job and you're responding to your kids, they should be growing. And I take this back, and part of our Facebook thread was I took it back down to yes, it becomes what we do and how we interact with the students. And we need them to grow. So we want to force the academics on them. We want them to grow in the academics. The problem is we are in a whole different environment. I grew up as a child of the 80s and early 90s and we had issues. We all had problems and all our problems are, are, you know, grow or change and morph. We always have problems, but I got to leave my bullying stuff at school at two 30 every day. 
these kids, they get bullying 24 seven. There is no break. They get digital. They're such consumers of digital media. They've forgotten how to be creative within themselves in some alone time. They don't have the mental health pieces that we used to have because parents don't know how to coach them through the lives that our kids are living because the parents live through a different age and a different set of problems. It is a tough thing. It's a faster changing world. We can say, hey, technology changes every two years. My computer's out of date. You're absolutely right. In fact, every six months, your phone's out of date. Well, the same thing happens with our teaching skills from parent to child. Every six months, our parenting skills are out of date. It's a simple fact of life nowadays. So coming back all the way down from teacher evaluations to student interactions with teachers and our goals with students, we really have to start with social, social and emotional learning and being trauma sensitive is, is one of the newer terms you'll see out there. And that's really for me where teacher evaluations need to start. How am I interacting with my students? How am I helping them? How am I supporting them, not academically first, but emotionally first? How am I getting them ready to learn in my classroom when they're walking in with, I didn't have breakfast this morning. I had a fight with mom today. I had a fight with my best friend on the bus. I got bullied on the bus on my phone on the way in. I have no idea what these kids are walking into. And you had Kim on, uh, Kimberly on a couple weeks ago. She was talking about kids whose parents, she had one kid in her class whose parent wasn't incarcerated. That's a whole set of trauma that I don't even have to worry about for the most part here. We run into it now and again, but wow. These kids are coming in with stuff that we couldn't possibly imagine in the 80s and 90s. So it's, it's very overwhelming as a teacher to get past all the social stuff that they walk in with, that trauma stuff, and get to the academics. So if I'm trying to teach academics right away, there's no way my kids are going to do well, so there's no way my teacher evaluations can do well. So where am I investing my time becomes the issue. Very, very thorough. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a lot. I mean, it's a yeah, lot. There's, there's so many layers that build one on top yeah, of the other. There are, there are, there are, you know, and, and, and I, and I try to think of it, I try to think of it as really like, let's organize the layers. Yes. You know, like we were discussing beforehand, you know, the first thing is we need to know who's here, yes. you know, and, and being here presently, you know, and this whole idea of kids leaving the room and not having record of that is just, is just, you know, it's just mind boggling to me because you can have a kid who can literally, and I have the story once, uh, you know, we, before the, before we started the podcast interview, you know, I spoke with you about the, the software and I, I'm referencing software here and there, but we had this high school where we, where we were piloting the software and this ninth grade, I think she was a math teacher. She used it the first day. She said that, a, you know, a boy, this really tall, big, you know, ninth graders can be really big and imposing, yeah, yeah. went out, went out, you know, to use the bathroom and came back nine minutes later. You know, she marked him out when, when, when he left and she marked him back when he came back and she saw that he was out for nine minutes. And, and she told him, she said, you know, you were just out for nine minutes. And he's no, I wasn't. I was only out for two minutes. And she called him up to the front of the room and showed him on her, you know, on the program that he was out for nine minutes. She said from that moment on, the entire class was different because of the accountability of just knowing. You know, so, so, so you have that piece where they know that we can't keep track of all this stuff. Of course they're going to exploit it, right? So, so you, have to, you have to really break it down and have the layers organized. And you start with, you know, we start with, you know, bedrock. You start with rock bottom. You know, the foundation, you build a foundation on that. You add another layer and on that you add another layer, you know? So, so I, I love that you're saying that, you know, the kids come into class, you've got to engage them in some way 
just right. to know what's going you do where are they at you know where are they holding are they are they ready to learn are they not ready to learn what's going on with them do they need to eat something before we get started mm-hmm. you know all this stuff is is really you know yeah really really important and 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 is this even you know and and because I'm not a teacher I'm a social worker I don't even know what goes into the teacher's training stuff is this even do you learn this when you're learning to become a teacher um uh, I did not I- um, I did my teacher training oh, 16 years ago or so. Um, I came late into it. I was actually, I did college admissions for a while. I did a couple other uh, corporate type jobs and then wound up into corporate recruiting and then 9-11 happened. I wound up losing my job. My wife worked at a college and she said, why don't you do the master's in education? I went, okay. So I've come into it late in life. My okay. mom, after 30 something years, 36 years, she's like, finally, you listen to me. She's been saying since I was 11 years old, become a teacher. You're really good at it. Finally, 36 years old, I became a teacher. At any rate, the, um, yeah, it, it's, they don't teach you. They didn't teach it to me then. And this whole idea of social-emotional learning and trauma-sensitive learning and trauma-sensitive classrooms, those are all fairly new. The research has been around for 10, 12, 15 years, more mainstream, but it's only filtering now into the, into the schools because we're seeing these massive shifts in uh, social issues and social engagement, and that's affecting um, uh, academic engagement. Of course. And, they're coming, and it's not just a traditional, well, they're from a divorced family. That's not all it is. The anxiety levels are up because the testing demands are up and the, the, the need to succeed is up. And there's a lot of stuff filtering through these kids that we don't understand if we don't stop and talk to them. And that's really what all that starts with is you're walking into my room. What's going on today? You know, the thing when I was growing up, when they come in, you're doing a bell ringer, you're doing a do now exercise. It's on their desk or, or it's up on the board and they come in, they're, they're getting their stuff together and they're, they're right to it. So that when you have a warm up, you're done with the warm up, you review it, now you're right into your academic lesson. No, not anymore. My do now, the thing, it's not even a do now, it's a must do now is I've got to take the temperature of my kids. I got to find out where they're coming from. I got to find out where their heads are today. And I got to find a, figure out a way to take them from whatever that, that distraction, that, that white noise in their heads is, and bring them into an academic framework. Now, that takes two or three steps to do. It can't be, here's your desk, sit down, do the work. You're not gonna get anything out of them, so. Right, you started telling uh, about how you got into the field. To, how, how did you, you know, your, your mom has been telling you to become a teacher since you're 11, but you didn't listen to her until 36. So tell us a little yeah. bit about that journey. Uh, so I, <laughs> so my background degree wise is international business. And I dreamed for years of, I'm going to go work for Coca-Cola or Mercedes Benz and I'm going to travel the world and speak German and speak Spanish and travel, you know, in the marketing department or communications department. And I came to graduation day and I had put no resumes out and <laughs> I was not really very smart about uh, life at that point. But I had been doing a lot of tours for my university, and the director of admissions asked me to put a resume in. I did. They interviewed me. They hired me. And I got into college admissions and loved it. Um, I loved being out on the road and talking to people. I loved interviewing with students and their families when they came in and taking them on a tour still once in a while. And I did that for several years. I got bored with doing that, was looking to maybe make a little bit more money than college admissions offered, went into a couple of corporate-type jobs. Um, wholesale greenhouse fundraising sales to schools and churches and then a corporate job in Brooklyn in fact actually I did that well Brooklyn was the second office they were in Valley Stream Long Island to start Uh, worked for a great company there it was all phone fax and computer and I'm like can't do it it's killing me I don't I I need more social stuff 
to the left and then wound up going to admissions again and then uh, and into corporate recruitment, um, a family-run business, um, trying to do contract and permanent placement hires for IT. And, um, and because of that, the 9-11, it, it all just kind of the, the market dried up for a very long time afterwards. So we we're such a small firm that the bigger firms took up all everything. So I wound up being out of work and I went, okay, I'll do a master's degree. Why not? Everyone else has one. I'll have one too. My wife had just gotten hers a couple of years earlier. I felt a little bit behind the curve. So um, but found that as I did it, as I learned about the education piece, as I learned not only the, the pedagogy of how to teach different subjects, but I got into the special ed classes, especially learning how to break things down. I'm a, I do, I have special ed certification, but I use my special ed skills in my regular ed classrooms because special ed skills simply means you're breaking things down into more and more manageable pieces and scaffolding things so that they're more and more easily to understand. My regular ed students need that. Not everyone's great in geometry. Not everyone's great in writing nonfiction pieces or better in fictional. I use those skills every single day. So I'm not special ed by title. I use them all the time. And so I found a real passion for that. Like I could do this. I can help kids learn better. And it was a lot of fun. And there's nothing, there's nothing the same about education any day. There's always a new curveball every single day. I don't care what novel I read sixth year in a row because of the class in front of me. The novel is new to me because of all the different conversations that happen. So it's so much fun. That's great. Yeah. That's, so, great. So that's, how, that's how I got here. And mom is proud of me now. So okay, she's, awesome. she's like, it took you long enough, but okay. She lets you back in the house now, huh? Exactly. I'm back in the will. As we like to joke in my family, I'm back in the will now. Yay. And my brother's on the out. So it's all good. <laughs> That's great. You know, it's funny that you talk about, you know, special ed and regular ed. One of the things, one of the things that really struck me was, you know, I remember, you know, and I'm around the same age as you, a little bit younger, um, you know, back like, let's say 25 years ago, yeah. there, there were kids who, you know, whether they had Down syndrome or whatever other kind of disability, they couldn't participate in life, really. You know, they yeah. were kind of institutionalized, you know, they lived in a home or whatever it was, you know, cer certain parents can have them. They function right. at a very, very low level. And today you see these people really, you know, they get jobs, you know, they're working at supermarkets, you know, they, they're, they're participating in society in a way right. that a generation ago was impossible. Yeah. And, 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 and what I, and what I think saying, they could do more. They, they can do more. And not only that, but that leap that these people have taken is so huge. We've got to figure out a way how to get the mainstream kids to take the same leap. Absolutely. You know, why, why are we? Thing. Yeah, we're still doing education the same way for these kids that we've always yeah. done. It's our, our mindset. We could probably survive with doing the same four walls in a classroom, although I think there are better ways to do education and set up a, a school nowadays. But setting that aside, if you change your mindset as a teacher, as an education system in the approach and how do you want to get to the kids and then get to the academics? Yes. Right now we're, we're you walk into school, we're getting to the academics right. you still got to get to the kids. Right. Right. Absolutely. So that's something. And it's beyond, yeah. And it's beyond the, you know, the, the, you have to have an engaging lesson. You have to make it relevant in the world. Yes. You have to do all those things. I agree, but you have to make the kid ready to learn before you can introduce the relevant relevance and the content and the exploration of a topic. They're not ready to learn. You're not getting any of that through them anyway. Right. And that's where 
that, that uh, social emotional learning piece and getting them academic ready is important. Yeah. So, so you've been teaching for about 15 years now altogether. Yep. So that's great. So tell us about some of the great challenges that you faced and how you, how you manage those. Oh, uh, yikes. Um, I, you know, it's funny cause I don't ever look at them as challenges, but I guess there are challenges. It, they're, they're, they're conundrums to solve, right? And that's the fun of education. I, I don't ever look at it and go, well, I really don't like this kid. I, or I really, I can't stand this situation. It's like, okay, here's the situation I got. Now what the heck am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this one and figure this one, this problem out? And that's what it comes down to. So one of my favorites is a really smart kid, probably a gifted and talented mind, but was the DC average kid, but oppositional defiant. And in sixth grade, I mean, hand me your paper. I never got one. Okay, but you should have one. I put one on your desk yesterday. I never got one. Like, can you back up your chair from your desk for a moment? I moved like three pieces of paper and I pulled the one out that I gave him yesterday and put it on his desk. I'm like, that was the piece of paper that I was asking you for. He goes, I never got it. Even after I pulled it out of his desk and put it on his desk, he never got it. <laughs> when you have a student like that, when you ever, ever, ever have any problem with any student, it's really a matter of saying, okay, what do you need from me? what's going on here? How do you, how can I work best with you? Do we need a new organization method? Do I need to put something in the folder for you? Is that what you need from me? You know, we want to teach kids independence and we want to teach them responsibility and accountability. And those are critical pieces, but we also have to teach kids to be aware of themselves and help work with us to figure out what we can do to make things easier until we can transition them. So for that student, if I need to put something in a folder, for the next couple of months, for the next half a year, it's what I had to do to make him successful until I could finally transition and say, hey, will you do me a favor? I'm going to stand here. You put that in the folder for me. All right, make sure that goes in your book bag. Great, thank you. Bring that home. Bring it back tomorrow. And it would come back until you can finally kind of gradually release. I don't need to be sitting next to you to get you to do that. Make sure, you know, so-and-so put it in your folder. And I can turn around and walk away and then kind of glance over my shoulder to say, okay, I saw him put it in the folder. He's done it on his own. But he needed that transition. He needed to know that I wasn't going to be hostile towards him. It's simply a problem. And we've talked about this. Kids need to know that they, they're going to run into problems even if it's not their fault, right? We talked about that before we started the podcast. That is so critical. Not everything is their fault. Not everything is in their control. A lot of the kids I work with, a lot of kids all teachers work with, they don't know that if it's not their fault, it can still be their problem. They still need to figure out something rather than, well, they did it to me. Or you still need to know how you're going to respond. You still need to develop those skills of, I'm going to be facing challenges all my life. I need someone to teach me the skills of how do I troubleshoot this? How do I prepare for it? How do I figure out my answer to this problem? And that's that social emotional learning skills. They don't have those or they're weaker or whatever the case is they're not coming in with them they're not developing them we got to help them with it that's great you know when i when i work with with kids and even when i work with adults also that are just dealing with emotional difficulties i always yeah. tell them the first step is to raise your emotional awareness and it's yes. not really just emotional awareness it's really self-awareness it's not necessarily you know it's not limited to emotional awareness and 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 what i love about the story that you just gave is that you know you're looking at the child's awareness He's yes. got to have that self-awareness. Let's teach him self-awareness. When you say, what can I do to help you? 
you're, you're framing it in a way where they can't give up. They're forced yeah. to think about, you know, they're, they're, you, you back them in a corner. Now you need to think about what you need from me. So, so typically you'll get a kid, you know, like, like I'll, I'll ask, you know, in, in my environment, like I'll say what's going on and they'll, they'll tell me something like everything is wrong. What happens, yes. you know, what's bothering you? Everything. And my response to that is everything means nothing, right? Because I can't do anything with everything. Exactly. Right? So, so let's break it down. Let's get specific. And, and th- that's an exercise that also, similar to what you're doing, requires them to self-reflect and to look, observe themselves and understand in, in small, manageable, bite-sized pieces what they need to do to take it to the next level. And at least, at least they know that they have me to help them, you know, similar to what you're doing. You know, they have you to help them. Let's, let's develop that awareness of what we need to do to solve this problem. And now we've gotten to first base. You know, we've gotten the awareness piece is further developed. And, and you can, you know, when you talk about how technology takes over kids and, and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and not just kids, it's adults too. Absolutely. It, it kills the awareness because we just get so engaged and developed and we just follow whatever, you know, it says click here. Oh, okay. I'll just click there. <laughs> and you buy things that you, you don't even need. <laughs> Right? You know, Jerry Seinfeld has this routine years ago. He's, he's done this, you know, before Amazon, you know, with the late at night infomercials. He says, you know, late at night something happens, you know, where I'm just thinking, you know, I don't have any knives that can cut through a shoe. That looks, <laughs> that looks kind of neat. Let, Let me cut knives and cut up my shoes. This is exactly why I do not have an Amazon Prime account because I am not <laughs> doing that to myself. I am smarter than that. So right. you mentioned you mentioned a student that you had who went to the bathroom and they thought they were gone for two minutes and it was really nine minutes. I, I got to tell you, I was just talking to my students today. I'm like, language arts, little sidebar. Let's talk about idioms and where the phrase down the rabbit hole came from. So I gave them the kind of background where it came from. I said, okay, I went down the rabbit hole yesterday. They're like, did you watch YouTube, Mr. You? I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> and I went through like what I started with. And I started with education stuff. I was looking for stuff for morning meetings and what to share and activities to do. And all of a sudden, I wound up watching celebrities you know, surprising their fans. And after that, it was car crashes. And then it was, you know, surprise proposals. And I'm like, where have I got? And all of a sudden, no joke, I looked at my clock and went, I, I was just on here five minutes ago, but it's really like an hour and 10 minutes now. And completely lost track of time because it's yeah. click, click, click. Right. And you're just clicking. And down the rabbit hole you go. So they go to the bathroom. Yeah, they have no sense of time. Right. It's got not, so I mean, but that self-awareness and the thing about the self-awareness and it's what happened with my student, you raise the self-awareness, you scaffold them to success without being a burden or embarrassing to them among their peers. But then they get to a point where they can self-regulate when they can self-regulate their behaviors or catch themselves. Even if they're starting to mess up, they go, wait, I need to do this. You develop habits and getting yes. them to develop habits of the mind as well as habits of academic behaviors are so critical. And again, that's it's a lost piece that I don't think we realize we lost and we're trying to get back to. Right. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. So tell me, you know, I asked you about some of the challenges and you gave me this story. Let's yeah. run to the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. Tell me what was the absolutely most amazing experience you've ever had as a teacher? Oh, um, okay. So the easy one is um, we have a really great uh, technology coordinator here, Kyle, and Kyle's uh, hooked into Microsoft uh, Innovative Educators and that group, and he's one of the early 
early people involved in Skype and skype -athons. And he got a phone call from Microsoft saying, hey, do you have a class that could do a mystery Skype? He goes, yeah, I've got a teacher who does it all the time. I started doing a lot because they were really fun. And my kids started learning geography all over the place. And we got to meet all kinds of interesting people, scientists wow. and other classrooms and all. And we had a blast. Well, Kyle's like, hey, um, I need you to do a mystery Skype. I'm like, great. He goes, yeah, hold on a second. Before you say great, you're going to be on TV. I went, I back up the trolley. What? So <laughs> sure enough, a, uh, a TV show that was on several years ago called Born to Explore, actually about five years ago, Born to Explore, um, wanted to do a mystery Skype. And they did it with our class. They set up a, they took my classroom, turned it into a studio. They had to rearrange the room and brought in lighting. They had five people in, the executive producer and lighting and sound people. And we actually did a mystery Skype on our smart board. And then we had to go back and do impact shots after the Skype was over because we messed up a few things. It was really, it's a cool experience. Right. The kids were really nervous to start while they were like being filmed. But then after we got started, they were more relaxed. We were laughing. We were joking. We had a blast. Oh my goodness. It was a, a full day of shooting, but so wow. much fun. So it really was a very cool experience. That, Great that is a really good experience. Wow, I was not expecting that, I could tell you. <laughs> no, no. Was, um, I mean, we've had other ones, too. We, um, we've met some really cool people through Skype. Um, we actually had a call up in the Arctic Circle, which was really kind of neat. That was fun. I've done, actually, uh, phone calls, uh, Skype calls with a friend of mine who's in Japan who lived through the tsunami in Japan back in 2011. Wow. So getting a firsthand account from him. He was actually a little bit further south, closer to Tokyo, but um, some, some firsthand account stuff there. So Skype has a lot of, like, my great stories to it. That's great. But, um, I had one girl who was really quiet. You might even say mousy. Wow. And um, we, the whole class and I kind of took her under our wing and we just kind of kept, well, tell us about this. Can you say this a little bit louder? And throughout the whole year, now she's doing her senior year out in uh, Colorado and she's getting ready to go to culinary school next year at Johnson & Wales at their facility out there. So if you're gonna be a chef, you gotta have a big voice be able to direct and command people and that is not the girl i knew six years ago when she started my sixth grade classroom so you get little things like that too that you it's it's so much fun i honestly goodness i love teaching it is this is great the stories are too numerous wow amazing so, amazing so what so let's so let's let's wrap it up with this with this last yeah. um if you can magic wand you could yeah. do one thing what would you do to improve the system And there's the radio silence. Um, okay. Wow. I think aside from the social emotional piece, we'll, we'll kind of, cause we kind of talked about that ad nauseum. Um, the next thing I would really like to do, I'd like to see students stop being grouped by age. If I've got a fifth grader in my class and the, and one's 10, 10 months and one year old, uh, I'm sorry, 10 years and one month old, but I have another one who's, 10 months, uh, 10 years and 11 years old, that's a nearly a year's worth of difference in their right. in emotional development, but also academic skill development. We don't all ride the bicycle at the same time. We don't all walk at the same time. We've all heard those lines for years and years and years. Well, in a practical setting in a classroom, I've got fifth graders who one is just about a fourth grader and one's just about a sixth grader. How do I teach that? So I would rather see a classroom or a, an educational system where students might be grouped in general by ages, maybe nine to 11 or eight to 10, so like broad ranges, but really move to teachers in their academic settings based on their skill level. And if a kid can close the gap in math from, you know, close two years worth of math, why shouldn't they be able to close two years of math in one academic school year? 
Same thing with writing. Why can't they? And if they're with kids with a similar background, you can move them along faster and bring them harder into their the skills that they're lacking. Really pound those skills hard. And we do differentiate in the classroom, differentiate instruction in the classroom, but it's it's not as easy as it looks when you've got five different sets of general skill levels. So you have five different groups and one teacher in the room trying to manage five groups. It's not as functional as it sounds. So that's great. Well, Carl, it's, you know, I, I feel like I could sit here and talk with you all day um, and it's, you know, really, really, fun. yeah. And we, we should definitely do this again sometime. So, so thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me. This has been a real blast. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. I will see you on Facebook. Yes. Take care. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much. You well. All the best. I hope you got value from this podcast. And please, before you go, if you can just subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends, that will be really, really amazing. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a class stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.